Hello and welcome to another episode of JG Ministries Bible Study, where we study God's Word. As always, I'm Jeffrey, minister and chaplain with JG Ministries, and I'm glad to have you with us. Be sure to follow this podcast to receive notifications every time we have a new podcast. We are studying the book of Luke, and we are just about ready to start unpacking chapter 9. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to the ninth chapter of Luke, and we'll begin with verse 1. Let's get into it. Now last time when we ended, we finished chapter 8. We saw Jesus we saw Jesus raising a little girl from the dead, and we saw him heal a woman with a bleeding disorder. And now we shall take a look at him feeding the 5,000, and we'll see Peter's confession of who Christ is as we begin this ninth chapter of Luke. But first, let's take a look at Jesus sending out the 12. So if you turn with me to your Bibles, to the first verse of chapter 9, we'll begin. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, Take nothing for the journey, neither staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. And do not have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard of all that was done by him, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead, and by some that Elisha had appeared, and by others that one of the old prophets had risen again. Herod had beheaded, but who is this of whom I hear such things? So he sought to see him. Now taking a look at verses 1 and 2 together, the 12 these 12 disciples received both the power and the authority to do works of the sort that Jesus has performed in the episodes Luke has thus far reported on. This incident closely resembles the sending of the 12 in the book of Matthew chapter 10, but there are notable differences. For instance, in the Matthew, the disciples were told to go only to the Jews, and they were told to raise the dead as well as to cure diseases. There's obviously a reason for the condensed version in Luke, but the reason is not obvious. The Lord not only has power and authority to perform miracles, but he conferred this power and authority on others. Now, power means to have strength or ability. Authority means the right to use that power. The message of the disciples was confirmed by signs and wonders in the absence of the complete Bible in written form. Now, signs and wonders are important to Luke, especially as the validation of the gospel by, among other means, the apostles' miraculous power as God's messengers. Now, since others were claiming that they had supernatural power, and we see that in the book of Acts, chapters 13 and 19, it was necessary for Jesus' disciples to have both power and authority. 
the right to use that power. This principle appears in a different context in chapter 5. The connection between casting out demons and the coming of the kingdom is not as clear there as in chapter 11, but the double mention of the ministry of healing here in chapter 9 suggests that relationship. So in verse 3, the instructions indicate the urgency of the task. The severely limited provisions Jesus, uh, Jesus allowed the 12 to take with them may be intended to express their dependence on God alone for their food, for protection, and shelter. Without bread or money, they would need to be given their daily food. Now, the disciples would have an opportunity to practice the principles which the Lord had taught them. They were to trust him for the supply of their material needs because they would have no bag. They would have no food. They would have money with them. The disciples were to live very simply, and they weren't even to take an extra staff or an extra tunic, complete dependency on God. So in verses 4 and 5, the disciples should receive hospitality graciously. Hospitality was important as well as necessary in biblical times in, in days of difficult travel conditions in biblical times. There was poor accommodations, accommodations at inns. And so staying with someone was very important when you were traveling. Now, they were to stay in the first house where they were made welcome. They weren't to move around in hopes of obtaining more comfortable lodging or a better place to stay. They weren't to go house to house, which is a practice that may have gained them more comfortable lodgings, but it would insult their hosts. They were not to prolong their stay either, and they weren't to exert pressure on those who rejected the message. Now, they would and did encounter those who refused them a welcome. And because of that, they were instructed to shake off the very dust from their feet as a testimony against them. It was a solemn symbol of judgment that the disciples were to shake the dust of an unresponsive town off their feet. The shaking the dust off their feet was a Jewish custom in biblical times. By doing that, they would declare the place to be heathen and would make clear those who rejected the message must now answer for themselves. And so in verse 6, it was presumably in the towns of Galilee that the disciples preached the gospel and they healed the sick there. It should be mentioned that their message had to do with the kingdom of God, the announcement of the king's presence in their midst, and his willingness to reign over a repentant people. Now Luke concludes this section with a summary of the mission of the twelve, including another reference to preaching and healing. Their instructions had not included any limitation of scope. They went everywhere. 
And so now we come to Herod's perplexity. Now Jesus has come to the end of his great Galilean ministry. The subsequent events take place to the north and to the east of Galilee and culminate in the confession of Jesus' Messiahship, followed by the first passion prediction. The first passion, of course, is going to be his crucifixion. Now, prior to the narrative about the feeding of the 5,000 that we were going to be taking a look at, Luke states that Herod was <clears throat> excuse me, perplexed about Jesus. Now, this is of great importance in the sequence of Luke's gospel because it's going to introduce the question, who then is this man who is called Jesus? Now, this all-important question, we will pick it up in verses 18 to 20. But in verse 7, we have the words, all that was going on. And this probably refers to the activities of both Jesus and the disciples on their mission. Herod Antipas was the Tetrarch in Galilee and also in Perea at this time. Now, he reigned over a fourth of the territory included in his father Herod the Great's, Herod the Great's kingdom. Herod the Great, of course, was his father. Now, word had reached Herod Antipas that Jesus was performing mighty miracles in his territory, and he had questions about him. And immediately his conscience began raising questions, especially the memory of John the Baptist. This still troubled him. Herod had silenced that fearless voice by beheading John. But he was still haunted by the power of that life of John's. So who was this who made Herod think continually of John? It was rumored by some that John himself, John the Baptist, had risen from the dead. And we know that John the Baptist is naturally on Herod's mind, and doubtless it's also on his conscience. Herod was not able to see Jesus yet, but... He did have his curiosity satisfied when Pilate had sent Jesus, or when Pilate sends Jesus to him. So the questions of Jesus' identity and also the reappearance of a dead prophet, like I said, we're going to be looking at those coming up in verses 18, 19, and 20. But in verses 8 and 9, we had others guess that it was Elijah to answer this question, who was this man? Some thought it was Elijah. Uh, some of the other prophets or some of the other people thought it might be someone or some of the other prophets of the Old Testament, like Jeremiah. Now, Herod tried to quell his anxiety by reminding others that he had beheaded the baptizer. He had beheaded John the, the Baptist. But, of course, this fear still remained with him. And so he still has this question, so who is this anyway? He sought to see Jesus, but he never did until just before the Savior's crucifixion, of course. And we have the power of spirit-filled life. We have the Lord Jesus, the carpenter of Nazareth, if you will. He was the son of a carpenter. And this caused Herod to tremble 
without ever having met Jesus. So never underestimate the influence of a person that is full of the Holy Spirit. So now we are going to get into the feeding of the 5,000. The fact that this miracle is in all four of our Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, indicates importance. Now Luke's account is sparse, but it is straightforward. So let's take a quick look at that. <clears throat> so back at verse 10, we begin, And the apostles, when they had returned, told him that all they had done. Then he took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. But when the multitudes knew it, they followed him, and he received them, and spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and healed those who had need of healing. When the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the surrounding towns and country, and lodge and get provisions, for we are in a desert place here. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, well, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. Then he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so and made them all sit down. He then took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples set before the multitude. So they all ate and were filled, and the 12 baskets of the leftover fragments were taken up by them. So in verse 10, we have the return of the disciples, which is the occasion for Jesus' withdrawal to Bethsaida. Maybe, or perhaps to rest, but when the apostles had returned, they reported the results of their mission directly to the Lord Jesus. And perhaps this would be a good policy for all Christian workers. Too often, though, the publicizing of work leads to jealousy and even division. And sometimes our passion for statistics is quite self-centered, and it is of the flesh, and it is not of the Spirit. Our Lord and the disciples are at a desert place adjoining Bethsaida, and the word Bethsaida means house of fishing. Now, it seems that there were two Bethsaidas at this time. There was one on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. And then this one, which was on the northeast side of the lake, and this was outside Herod's territory, but the exact location is unknown. Now, verse 11, if there were any hopes of a quiet time together, those were soon going to be shattered. Because a crowd of people followed and quickly gathered to Jesus at that place. But the Lord Jesus welcomed all who came, and Jesus was always accessible. He did not consider this an annoyance or an interruption by any means. And he was never too busy to bless those. In fact, it specifically states that he received or welcomed them and teaching them about the kingdom of God and, and healing those who needed it. And as evening drew on, the twelve became restless. So many people needing food. It seemed like an impossible situation. So they asked the Lord, send the multitude away. And in verse 13, each of the Gospels records both the disciples' suggestion that the crowds be sent away and find their own food, and also Jesus' response. And his response is, you give them something to eat. And this puts the responsibility back on them. Jesus would not send them away to the surrounding villages to get food. Why should the disciples go off and on these tours to minister to people 
and then they neglect those who are right there at their doorstep. So let the disciples feed the crowd. They protested that they had only five loaves and two fish, but they forgot they also had the unlimited resource of the Lord Jesus to draw upon. The Lord who was in on the creation of the world, he created it out of nothing. He can provide anything at any time and in any way. And also, as a little side note, the loaves were a basic food staple in biblical times. They always had their bread, and most of the time was often eaten with fish that they got out of the Sea of Galilee. So in verses 14 to 17, I'm going to stop right there because we're starting to run out of time. But we're going to look at the importance of feeding the five thousand. What does this really mean to us as Christians? But I'll leave that for next time. So until then, God bless you and keep living Christian strong.